It's 9.30 in 716. I don't think anybody, including, you know, a lot of the folks that uh, I worked with in the press corps, had any idea that it would be this intense. We didn't know that day when he stepped out in front of the press room for the first time how difficult it was going to be. He talks about his very first uh, press briefing a few days after the inauguration and how bad it was, and he admits it was bad, and he says if he could have one moment to take back and do over again, that would be it. I don't know that there was two people on earth that were happy with me that day. I'm Tim Wenger on 930 in 716, powered by the Brothers of Mercy, a five-star rated skilled nursing residence offering affordable living in a country setting. Sean Spicer's book, The Briefing, it's out, and it's getting lots of attention. And in a moment, you'll hear his conversation on WBEN Wednesday morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski on the book and more. First, some insight. He'll be remembered as, as uh, a guy who was not very comfortable and not particularly effective in that position. Our political guru, Carl Calabrese, with thoughts on the former press secretary. He'll also unfortunately be remembered as... as uh, uh, the the target of one of the great Saturday Night Live impersonations where uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy, the actress, played him as a secretary, uh, press secretary, which was hilarious. And unfortunately, I think that image is, is stuck with a lot of people. But, you know, I, I, I read a review of his book. His book just came out. I read a review, and I heard him do an interview uh, the other day about the book. It was interesting. His, his interview, he talks about his very first uh, press briefing, a few days after the inauguration and how bad it was, and he admits it was bad, and he says if he could have one moment to take back and do over again, that would be it. It was all about the size of the crowds at inauguration, and he was very combative, and, and he, he basically declared war with the media that day, and he said it was a terrible mistake, and he wishes he could do it over again. What I thought was interesting um, in this book review is, you know, he, he says he didn't understand what Donald Trump wanted when he went out to, to talk to the press that day that he, he realizes now Trump wanted a, a logical, he says, nuanced argument why the media was wrong and why the crowds were the same size. Um, and he went out thinking Donald Trump wanted a war with the press. And that's fine, but you may want to ask him this question. Did anyone ever think to say to Donald Trump, ignore it, forget this thing about the story, this story about how big the crowd was compared to the Obama crowd? It's not worth it. It's just let it go. You've got bigger fish to fry as president. Uh, don't go there. I, that would be the question I would ask him. Well, he didn't do that. Mm, leads us to our next question. We've been asking people all morning long who you think has been the most effective press secretary for the president, Sarah Sanders or Sean Spicer. Overwhelmingly, people are saying Sarah Sanders. Does that surprise you at all? Not at all. She, I think she's excellent. I mean, I watch her in these, uh, in these forums. I can't think of a more hostile forum for a press secretary for Donald Trump to be in, and she handles herself very, very well. She knows when to be combative. She knows when to put the press and the media in its place, and she, she just doesn't get rattled. I think she's excellent, and she's, she's going to be uh, tough to replace when she leaves. Well, i I, I got to tell you, uh, I know Sean Spicer. Uh, he's a colleague. He's someone I worked with at the convention in Cleveland. WBEN political contributor and former Trump aide Michael Caputo weighing in. He's got a very long and uh, uh, you know enduring reputation as a very pro- professional communicator. But that day was the first day of perhaps the hardest communications job in the world, perhaps in the history of American politics. I can't imagine having that kind of pressure. 
I can't imagine uh, 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 being out there on the first day uh, trying to get your legs under you and having that challenge on your plate. It's, it's something that any professional communicator uh, would look at as frightening at the very least, and I think Sean handled it well. You know, he may have regrets. You know, everybody in their professional life has a regret here or there. They wish they had, you know, worked a certain day or a certain project differently. Uh, I uh, admire Sean for uh, for being frank in his book, and I really look forward to reading it. Do you think the book is kind of like an apology tour? No, not at all. I think it, it's Sean's perspective. You know, let, let's let's think about two different things. Number one, this is Sean uh, 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 documenting how he was trying very hard to get his sea legs and trying to trying to get you know, wrap his hands around probably what was going to be a very difficult press secretary assignment. We didn't know that day when he stepped out in front of the press room for the first time how difficult it was going to be. But we also at the same time had a president who grew up and, and, and fought, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, and, and succeeded in what is probably the most difficult media market in the world. That's New York City with its tabloids and hyper-aggressive television reporters. You know, and he had that very aggressive, punch-first kind of mentality in New York for, for decades. And then he came to Washington, where the media is very, very different. They're focused on content and on your answers and picking apart every letter of every word that you say. So not only was Sean walking into a firing line that he didn't know how to predict or even handle quite yet, uh, he was working with a candidate, I'm sorry, with a president and a client, uh, who was really going to face the most difficult communications challenge of a presidency. And now, Spicer, in his own words, on WBEN. Did you know what you were getting yourself into when you took that job? In some respects, Ryan, I did. Uh, but in a lot of ways, clearly, it's been unbelievably unconventional and disruptive. That's what he was as a candidate and, uh, as a, and is now as a president. So in some ways, I think, I had a somewhat of a semblance of this. I had talked to my predecessors. We had gone through a series of uh, mock, you know, prep sessions and, and really tried to get a handle on this. But uh, never, I don't think anybody, including, you know, a lot of the folks that uh, I worked with in the press corps, had any idea that it would be this intense. You know, the president got a do-over last week with the Putin meeting when it came to the word would or wouldn't. Right. Do you wish that you could have had a do-over while you were in the job? Yeah, <laughs> like a lot of them. Um, <laughs> Maybe with that crowd size, the inauguration. I, yeah, and, and Susan, I, I mean, I start the book. I, mean, I don't start it. I think it's the second chapter. I talk about that. I would absolutely love a do-over. I mean, that was, that was there, I don't know that there was two people on earth that were happy with me that day. Um, I, I wish in so many ways I could have started over and... Uh, done that differently. That was not the way that I would have liked to have made my debut. The president wasn't happy with me. Um, you know, my own team, I don't think was very happy with me. And I, I look back on that and go, that's the day that I was cast. I, I think a lot of people kind of say, well, you started that way. And that's how we, we continue to deal with you ever since. And, um, and so, yeah, I'd love a do over um, on that day, because I don't think I represented the president of the country the best I could have. And it's tough when you do something. Um, I mean, I know we all make mistakes, but I hope to God that even my worst enemies don't have to make them 
um, on that big of a stage. Yeah, that day seemingly kind of steamrolled the whole idea, the terms fake news, uh, alternative facts. How do you define fake news as the president says it? Well, let me just walk back a second and talk about sort of I I believe, number one, that a a free press is essential to uh, any democracy, especially ours. I think that uh, in the book, I name reporters by name that are tough, that I don't always agree with their stories, but I think are top notch professionals because I think that painting any industry or group of people with a broad brush isn't probably as effective as calling out specific examples of um, concern or um, and or behavior. And so I, I think it's more effective, frankly, in any circumstance to, to be very specific with what the problem is or the concern is. And so whether it's the behavior or the story, um, you know, there, there are reporters and, re- and reporting that I think is not accurate. And when it comes to fake news, I think there's, there's different buckets. There's outright fake news that we all agree on where we talk about propaganda that gets put out. Um, and then there's sort of false reporting. And I kind of think that there's, those are, there's a, a delineation between those two things. Would Trump be as popular as he is now if there wasn't so much negative news coverage? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I think that part of uh, the what the the that there is a huge segment of support for how he pushes back, how he fights, and they appreciate the fact that he's authentic and not a politician um, in the mold that have been you know come before in in, in almost in every instance. So I I think in some ways part of it is him calling it out. Um, strengthens his his support among the base. That pushback, the fight you're just talking about, you know, sometimes when the president goes on about something, either in front of a microphone or on Twitter, does anyone ever say to him, Sean, move on, ignore it, let it go? Um, obviously, the the president takes advice and counsel from, from his team uh, and from his friends. Um, but ultimately, he's the decider. He's going to figure out. And, and look, the thing that, that we forget, Susan, is that... You know, I I write this in the book. There are so many times during the campaign that other candidates would have just been left for dead because of an instance. And Donald Trump not only, uh, you know, continued to go forward, but in many cases stronger than before. And he looks at, I think, he he reads the landscape and the message and and crafts a message that, that has largely been successful for his career and definitely through the campaign. So he takes the advice that his senior team gets him, but ultimately he decides what he thinks is going to be the most effective strategy. How many times were you caught off guard by a tweet from the president while you were on the job? (laughs) Um, Caught off guard, uh, I don't know what the number would be, but I mean, uh, there were plenty. I mean, you you learn to adapt under him, meaning that in the past, my role would normally be to uh, to craft the messages and the tactics and the tweets and all this and then go and say, OK, this is what we want to do. This is when we want to do it. Let me know if you have any edits. We'll hit send. And and Trump's the opposite. He's going to he decides when to go, what the message is going to be and when to hit send. And, you know, your job is to amplify that. Sean, you were with the RNC before you were with the president. Once it gets in your blood. Is it hard to leave and walk away? I mean, it's it's been one year since you've been out. And I'm sorry, so what's the... Well, is is it hard for you just to, to let it go, to walk away from it all? Are you coming back in any form? <laughs> coming back in any form? Uh, I, 
I look, I, I obviously in in going out there and talking about this book, you know, to some degree I've made a conscious decision to step into the spotlight, but I think part of it is because I want people to have an account of what was going on both during the campaign uh, during the transition of the White House and give them some of the, the background is, that I get asked so often. Um, I, I obviously have a lot of pursuits that I've been engaged in since I left the White House, whether I've got a consulting firm that we're doing work for a lot of clients. I've engaged politically, doing a lot of commentating. Um, we've got some entertainment projects. I've got a podcast that I launched uh, called Everything's Going to Be All Right. So, I mean, I'm still engaged uh, both politically and civically, and I hope to continue to do that and find causes that I believe in um, and, and support them. Back tomorrow. That's 930 in 716. We're back tomorrow with another edition from the studios of WBEN Buffalo. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 